Hello, good afternoon, and we're in John chapter 4, one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible, one of my favourite chapters. John chapter 4, we'll read the first 15 verses. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptising more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptise but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water and may the lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word john 4 um with very few exceptions maybe no exceptions at all jesus was not the messiah that people were looking for he was not the christ they expected and for most of them he was not the messiah they wanted jesus was often surprising he was often time scandalous his birth was not what they expected from the Messiah. The way that he spoke, the things that he did, often astonished and marveled the crowds, sometimes to their delight, sometimes to their great disappointment. And clearly no one thought the Messiah would come and suffer and die. Now the Messiah was supposed to get the Romans off their back. He was supposed to put an end to their suffering. He surely could not be the Messiah if he came and suffered and died. And they were not expecting that once dead, he would be raised to life again. Jesus was full of surprises. He was not what they were expecting. And if we are honest, Jesus may not be what you are expecting either. Jesus is not as many people in our world imagine him to be. He was not simply a soothing, kind, inoffensive, nice first century Jew. And let us be honest, Jesus was not as safe and as tidy and as manageable as some of us imagine him to be. He was not as predictable as we would like him to be. He did not play by the rules that every religious person thought that he should play by. He was amazingly unsentimental. Now, I know many of us are familiar with the Bible, so it is hard for stories in the Bible to shock us like they should. But if Jesus does not surprise you, then you have become very holy or if you have stopped paying attention 
because Jesus is often surprising and sometimes shocking. This is one of those passages. Jesus was most certainly a surprise and a shock to the woman at the well. And I can only imagine that his disciples found him surprising and shocking when they returned and found him talking to the woman at the well. You can look at this familiar story in John 4 as having three acts. This afternoon we look at Act 1, verses 1 through 15, and we could call it water. Then Act 2 could be at verses 16 through 26, and we could call it worship. And then the final act, the third act, Acts, uh, um, sorry, John 4, verse 17 through 42, Act 3, we could call witness. These are the three acts unfolding in the story and we'll see them as we progress. Water, worship, witness. So in the first act, John 4, 1 to 15, Jesus speaks three times. Maybe um, highlight that. Um, you know, Three times Jesus speaks in the first 15 verses. He speaks in verse 7. He speaks in verse 10. And he speaks in verses 13 and 14. And each statement is more surprising than the last. Three statements from Jesus, three surprises. And as we see these three surprising statements, we find not only the Samaritan woman to be shocked, but perhaps we need to be surprised too. So three statements from Jesus. And number one in verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. It seems innocuous enough until we realise the cultural religious setting that Jesus is in Samaria. In verses 1 through 6, we see that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had heard of his popularity, that his disciples are baptising all sorts of people. You have John the Baptist, you have Jesus and his disciples who are baptising. Now, part of what was scandalous was not baptism so much. Baptism was present in first century Judaism for, pros for proselytes. You baptise those who came into the Jewish faith as a means of marking them out as having entered the covenant community. Now, the surprise and the scandal was that John and Jesus were having Jews to be baptised. So John the Baptist and Jesus were saying, you need to repent. You need to be born again if you're going to enter. So they were baptising Jews to enter the new kingdom of faith. The Pharisees got wind of this, perhaps fearing that they could drive some sort of wedge between John's ministry and, and Jesus or perhaps fearing for his life. They decide that it's time to head back to Galilee. Jesus decides it's head back, time to head back to Galilee, which will be the centre of his ministry for most of the three years. We looked a little bit about where his ministry was last time or the last couple of times about Jesus's Galilean ministry. So... In order to go from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, you had to go through Samaria. I'm not a PowerPoint guy, but just try and imagine it. You know, Judea in the south, Galilee in the north, you pass through Samaria. And true, some Jews could go the long way round because they didn't want to go through Samaria. But Jesus goes, as many people would, by the most direct route. And he stops in Sychar which may be the modern town known as Askar, because Askar and Sychar are related, or it could be the town of Shechem, 
which is closer to the well. And the Samaritans were descendants of the Shechemites. So the Lord Jesus comes and we read in verse 6 that he was wearied. Now that is amazing. Jesus, all that we've seen about Christ in John's prologue and up to this point, he is the word, he was with God, he is God, he is the only begotten son of God, he is light, he is life, all things made through him, this son of God was tired. And that is the mystery, the wonder of the incarnation, that the word took on assumed human flesh. And so he is wearied, he sits beside the well, it is the sixth hour, the day began at six in the morning, so this is noon. If you are a teenager, it's the first hour, but it's the sixth hour. He is tired, it is the heat of the day, a woman comes to draw water at the well and she's alone. It's unusual for women to come to the well alone, let alone come in the middle of the day. You come in the cool of the day in the morning or you come later in the evening. And for safety precautions and just for community, you don't come alone. You come with others. So we reason that this woman was something of an outcast, that she was all by herself coming to the well in the middle of the day. And there she is and finds to her surprise a Jewish man, a rabbi. She will later say, how can you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? So there must have been something in Jesus's speech. Did they have different accents? Did they have different religious dress or garb? But there is something that she knew he was a Jew. Something about him signaled to her, you're not one of us. And then Jesus says these simple words, give me a drink. He was acting against received protocol. One, he was talking to a woman. Secondly, he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And if you know your Bible, he's at a provocative place here at the well. Jacob found his wife at a well. Isaac found his wife at a well. Moses found his wife at a well. So there's a certain sense that be careful talking to women at wells. But Jesus is not bothered by that. There is a woman. He talks to her. Verse 8 gives something of an explanation. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. That is why his disciples are not there to attend or to talk to the woman on his behalf. It is just the Lord Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And the fact that he sent his disciples to buy food and that they were willing to buy food from Samaritans shows that they're having a measure of freedom that most Jews did not think that you should have with Samaritans. Jesus talks to her. Jews and Samaritans do not get along. You see that at the end of verse 9, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You could translate it as they did not use utensils with Samaritans, because that is the literal idea behind the word that they were not in table fellowship with one another. Now, they were both united as the province of Judea under Roman rule, but this area of Samaria was divided by history and religion. There was acrimony between Jews and Samaritans. And this is why the woman is surprised that Jesus would not only speak to her, but be willing to use water that had touched her drinking utensil. And after the Assyrians wiped out Israel in 700 BC, the land was resettled with foreigners who intermarried whatever poor Israelites were left. And those who were left there in Samaria were the poor of the poor, who intermarried with those who were re religiously and ethnically different. And so the Jews thought of the Samaritans uh, 
as religious and racial half-breeds. That is what they thought of them. The Samaritans, for their part, built a rival temple in 400 BC. The temple was in Jerusalem. They built a temple on Mount Gerizim. And we'll come to that passage in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, where the woman asks, what mountain do we worship on? Because the Samaritans had a different mountain. In 128 BC, during the Maccabean Revolt, the Jews destroyed that temple in Samaria. The Samaritans only recognised the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as their religious canon, because they believed that after Moses, Israel's religion was polluted and perverted. So this is a different religious group. It is a different ethnic group. There's acrimony and animosity between the two. In AD 6 or 7, just a generation before these events, Samaritans scattered bones in the Jerusalem temple during Passover, an act to make the temple unclean. So the fact that a Jewish rabbi would speak to a Samaritan woman was shocking. Please get that. And she's floored by the request. The Jews thought of the Samaritans as less than Jews and probably thought of them as less than people. There is a statement in the Mishnah. If you remember, the Mishnah is a collection of Jewish rabbinical oral teachings. It's put together about a century after the time of the Gospels, but it reflects many of the practices and beliefs of the Jews in the first century. And there's a line from the Mishnah, the book of Nidda, chapter 4, verse 1, says that Samaritan women are deemed menstruants from their cradle. That was the rabbinical understanding in the verse. In other words, Samaritan women from birth were deemed to be as unclean as menstruating women. women. And there were laws in the Old Testament against men and women and their uncleanness. And these rabbis concluded that every Samaritan woman from birth to death is unclean. John Calvin said the Samaritans were known to be the scum of the people gathered from among foreigners. That's how the Jews thought of Samaritans. So it is surprising that Jesus would say, give me a drink. Just notice that Jesus will talk to anyone. He's not shy about confronting everyone. Chapter 3, Nicodemus, a learned Jew, respected Orthodox, comes in the middle of the night. Chapter 4, a Samaritan woman, female. We presume she was not learned. learned. She wasn't respected. She was an outcast. She comes in the middle of the day. Jesus talks to both of them. There are lots of Christians who cannot talk to both types of people. Some would say, well, I, you know, some practice, you know, I, I would talk to Nicodemus. He's put together. He's a, he's, a, he's a religious person. I will share the gospel with her, with him. Her? No, she's dangerous. She's an outcast. But then sometimes it gets flipped. Well, my heart really breaks for the outcasts. But these religious people, they're so set in their ways, they're beyond the pale, the elite. I don't want anything to do with them. Jesus would talk to anyone. And you notice with Nicodemus and the women, both woman, both instances, he takes charge of the conversation very quickly. And he brings it to a spiritual plane that they don't understand. With Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. With the woman, it is, you need some living water. And she says, well you, well, you don't even have a bucket. And he's bringing it to a level that they are not prepared to understand, let alone accept. 
Are you and I willing to talk to anyone? People that do not know what church is. People that do not get dressed up for church. People that do not live in the same places. People that do not come from the same background. Or do we subconsciously or even overtly tick people off or put people on or off our list? Jesus talked to anyone. Maybe it's the other way. Maybe it's not you feeling that you cannot talk to people. Maybe you think that Jesus will not speak with you. Listen, do not think that you're too smart for Jesus to have something to say to you. Or you're too accomplished or, too, or you're too religious or you're too put together or you're too broken or you're too despised or you're too lowly. Jesus is not afraid to talk to anyone. He, talk, he spoke to Nicodemus. He spoke to the woman at the well and he will speak to you. The second thing Jesus says in verse 10 is the second surprise. Give me a drink, number one, verse seven, verse 10, if only, if you only knew. Those words at the beginning of verse 10 should make you sit up straight. Jesus said, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew the gift, if you knew who is speaking to you, if you knew you would ask me for a drink. Jesus says the opposite of those famous words from JFK. Jesus ah, says, ask not what you can give to God. Ask what you need to receive from God. We want to give back to God. We use that language and that's fine. But here's the first step. Not God, what do you need from me? He does not need anything from you. What do you need from God? Jesus is asking for a drink and all she can think of is you shouldn't be doing this. I'm a Samaritan woman, you're a Jew. And Jesus said, if you knew, you would be asking me. She thinks that Jews and Samaritans cannot mix, but she does not know the Messiah she is talking to. Jesus is not defiled by what he touches. No, what he touches, he makes clean. You see, with lepers, they make you unclean. You can't come near a Samaritan. She makes you unclean. Now Jesus operates with the opposite understanding. I'm not in danger of becoming unclean by being near you. You might be made clean by being near me. We do not ask because we do not know. Verse 10, two things she does not know. He says, if you knew what could be given you, if you only knew the gift, but you do not, you think too small. God, God is never exhausting his resources. He does not have to ration his grace. He does not have a limit on mercy. If you knew the gift, Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift, dear friend, you would ask. You will not exhaust it. Jesus says, if you knew what I could do for you, you wouldn't worry about giving me a glass of water. You would ask me for oceans. He says, you do not know what can be given and you do not know the one who is giving if you knew who it is who is speaking to you now it is amazing that jesus would say something like that he truly is either an egomaniac or he is the christ that she has been looking for who speaks that way if you knew who you were speaking to anyone else talked that way you might say you're so full of yourself but it is jesus do you know the singular command that jesus gives to the gospel relative to prayer ask that is the command he gives more than any other ask 
We do not ask because we do not believe. We do not ask for living water because we do not know what the gift is and we do not really know the giver. If you or I are never praying, if we are never coming to God, if we're never asking God for anything, it is a measure of our unbelief. We do not know what God can give us and we do not know who he is. If you only knew, of course she does not understand. We see that in verse 11. She's thinking in a very literal way. She says, sir, which has been respectful, you have nothing to draw water with. Usually travellers, everyone would carry some kind of skin bucket that they could lower into a well along the way when they stopped to be nourished. But he doesn't even have that. The disciples presumably have left, gone into town. They have that kind of equipment. He has nothing. And she says this water, this well, Jacob's well, was given to his son Joseph. We read about that in Genesis 48, the land and the territory that was given from Jacob to Joseph. She says something of this tradition, which we do not have recorded in Genesis, whether it is true or not. But she mentions that Jacob gave us the well, drank from it himself. His sons and his livestock did in addition. We don't have that information. There's no reason to think that it is not true. She is still thinking water. You see that at the end of verse 10. Jesus says he would have given you living water. And living water was the ancient way of saying spring water. You had well water and you had living water. Still water came from the well. Living water came from the spring. Now Jesus has in mind more than that. But you can see why she is confused. You're offering me living water, but where's the spring? No, we, no, we just have a well. And the well is 100 feet deep and you don't have a bucket, so you don't have water. How can you give me something to drink? The way that she asks the question presumes the answer is no. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And the thought in her mind was obviously no. You're asking me for water and then you tell me that you have all the water in the world to give me. You don't have a bucket. There's no spring. You don't know what you're talking about. That's what she is thinking. So, the third surprising statement, give me a drink, if only you knew. And third, this is not ordinary water. No ordinary water. I think it's amazing sometimes if you think about it, but I guess I'm fine with it. We buy bottled water. But, you know, taking it from the fridge and it has a French name on it or something, it seems better than... The normal tap water. It just seems that it's magical. This is not ordinary water. But Jesus isn't talking about Brita filters. Jesus isn't talking about whatever thistle water or Evian Evian water, whatever it is. He's talking about something completely different. And she has not yet begun to understand it. He says this is no ordinary water. Just notice two things about the water that Jesus gives. First of all, he says, if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. Verse 13. There are a few things more basic to the human condition than our need for water. Hunger is bad. Thirst is worse. When you get thirsty, when you feel thirst, particularly so in this cultural context, they they don't have 24 water bottles in the fridge. They can't go to a room in the house and turn on the tap. They have no plan. They have to plan to get water. You had to make a trip to the well. You had to fill up cisterns. You had to bring it back. You had to build it strategically into your day. You have to try and keep the water cool. Water is a precious commodity and it still is in many parts of our world today. 
So it's imagine how amazing it is that Jesus says, I can give you water and you will never be thirsty again. Jesus is or clearly is obviously talking about more than physical thirst. Jeremiah 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Such a graphic picture of someone, come, someone, someone coming to a well with a big cistern. They try and fill up their bucket and get their bucket and fill up the cistern to bring back to the camp. And it's broken. There's a hole in the bottom. There's a crack. And by the time they get the cistern back to the camp, it is no water. Nothing to satisfy. The Lord said through Jeremiah, that's what my people are like. It's filling up broken cisterns. And you're surprised you're always thirsty. We do the same thing. If I could just get that, that one job, then I'd be happy. If I could just have one more child, if I could just be married, if I could just be retired, if I could just go on holiday, if I could just not have to wear a mask. It is broken systems. We think that will finally satisfy. It doesn't. We'll get to the rest of her story. This woman seems to have an insatiable appetite for sex, or maybe it was not for sex, maybe it was for men, or maybe it was for the security that she thought she could get from men, or maybe it was the validation or self-worth she, she thought that would come with having a man. Whatever reason, we're going to find out later that she's on man number six. Jesus is saying to her, though she may not understand it, how would you like to try something that satisfies? You will never be thirsty again. The second thing about the water is that it's waters of salvation. Jesus says in verse 14, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what the prophets foretold, the wells of salvation. Isaiah 12 verse 3, streams on the dry ground. Isaiah 44 verse 3, Isaiah 55 verse 1, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is what Jesus is fulfilling. You are a Samaritan. You are a woman. You have nothing. I have water. Come. You do not need money. You do not need to be someone. You do not need to belong to the right group. You do not need to be the right colour. You do not need to be from the right place. You do not need to get worship on the right mountain. You just need to come and ask me for a drink and the water that I will give you will satisfy you and it will save you. There is a gift, a gift that the Lord Jesus stands ready to give you. The Greek verb is didomai, to give. It occurs seven times between verses 7 and 15. It is the verbal centre of the story, give. Do you know what I have to give to you? Do you know what I can give to you? Do you know the gift that is here for you? You can be forgiven. You can have meaning. You can have eternal life. You can have the Father who loves you always and forever. And in verse 15, she says to him in reply, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, does she understand what Jesus is talking about? Does she understand eternal life? Probably not. She's parroting his words to some degree. She's not comprehending fully, but she knows just enough. With all the things that she misunderstood, and she misunderstood a lot, 
She thought she knew about Jews and Samaritans. She thought she knew her own history. She thought that she knew about the right protocol between men. She thought she knew about Jacob's well. She thought she knew where she could get living water. It turns out she didn't know a lot of things. But there's one thing she does know, that she is thirsty. That she's at the well again and she is thirsty. And she may not understand what this man is saying to her. She may not understand living water. She may not understand where it is coming from. But she knows this man says he has water and she is thirsty. Do you know the same? You may know next to nothing about church, Christianity, God, Bible. But are you thirsty? Can you testify that you have broken systems and they are not holding water? That you've tried everything and that you are not satisfied? Perhaps if nothing on earth satisfies, it is a testimony that you were made for heaven. Think of Nicodemus and the woman. So different. Man, woman, Jew, Samaritan, learned, unlearned, orthodox, outcast, respected, disrespected. So different. And yet they're more alike than not because they need the same thing. They need water. Jesus says, you need water to be born again, Nicodemus. He says to the woman of John 4, you need water to live. And they both need what only Jesus can give them. And it is what you need. And it is what I need. And it is what only Jesus can give.